Is Woody from Toy Story the hopeful version of Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead? Think about that for a minute. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay Shear on today's podcast. Matt Parrish from Woodway Radio and the 3028 joins Daryl Smith and me to dig deeper into the entire Toy Story franchise. This is episode one in our Disney series, and you don't want to miss out on this series. Coming up next week, a nerd fight over the best animated Disney character. That'll be with Jack Milliken from No Midnight Media and Theme Park Pulse and Josh Taylor from Network 1901. Daryl and I will also be on that one. Don't miss out on any of the episodes in our Disney series or any upcoming series. Subscribe for free on your preferred podcast provider. For articles written by Ashley Pauls and Anthony Holder, and to access all of our premium content, including our aftercasts, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into the entire Toy Story franchise. All right. Well, today is exciting because not only do we get to talk about the Toy Story franchise, which is a lot to talk about in an hour, but we also get to talk uh, with Matt Parrish. And it's cool because Matt Parrish is one of the podcasters that I've been listening to ever since I started listening to podcasts. And one of my favorite personalities, I think, in podcasts. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate the compliment there. We, I've been doing this so long. I explained to you off the show. I, it, it, it feels like not so long, but then it feels like forever as well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. But we've only been doing it for three years. I know. It hasn't been that long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, of course, Daryl's here, too, um, and he's going to kick us off into these questions. But first, before we do that... Matt, why don't you tell all the folks what you're up to, what you're doing, and direct them to how they can find out more information. So I've uh, I've been a co-host on Wedway Radio for 10 years. This is the 10 Centennial season, and my brother and I launched that podcast way back in 08, and then we finally started publishing it in 2009. And so he, um, a couple of years ago, was like, eh, I think I'm kind of done with podcasting. So I have kind of relaunched that show and it's kind of a Matt and Friends format on Wedway Radio. So Disney insiders, Disney Imagineers, uh, friends who are Disney enthusiasts come on the show and we do the same kind of thing. Disney history mostly. Then we also talk about Disney news and stuff. So you can find Wedway Radio on iTunes uh, pretty much weekly. And so that's mm. that's been exciting for me to kind of relaunch it and put my own kind of name and face on it. And uh, I miss my brother, but it's it's still a lot of fun to talk Disney with everybody who's who's still loving it. So that's that's a lot of fun. And then I have another podcast that's called The 3028. Impossible to find this because it's 30, <laughs> 30 spelled out, 20 is the number, and then 8 is spelled out as well. And evidently, Kevin Quigley is my friend from Boston, and we do Disney history and Disney listery, which is a, a lot of lists. We dive into uh, a number of different Disney topics and people who, you know, you know, they like to, you know, walk around the Disney theme parks. We try to bring up stuff that maybe they're not looking for, but, you know, we kind of shine the light on things that are kind of unloved from time to time. Yeah, you guys go into some, like, some really obscure lists. <laughs> it's awesome. I really enjoy that kind. show, too. Yeah, I know. It's great. It's great. It's um, a ton of fun, yeah. Like, uh, for example, we did a show on uh, bathrooms. That was a yep. very, <laughs> very right. uh, popular show, yeah, where we looked around at all the best. And Disney has great bathrooms. It's a weird thing. Uh, and then we did a show called Upstairs Eology, and all of our listery shows are an ology. They're a study of a different place. And so we did Upstairs Eology, and that's like – 
different places around the Disney parks that have an upstairs, and in that upstairs is some kind of magical thing. <laughs> okay, awesome. so when you're doing the list on bathrooms at Disneyland, yes. and you're, you're a parent, did you talk at all about how... <laughs> There are thousands of urinals and thousands of stalls, but only one changing table in oh. each and every bathroom. It is so hard to be a dad, like, in public at all. Isn't it just like, I mean, I still go to places where they don't have, like, um, high chairs. I'm like, how do you not have a high chair? It's 2019. Or if they do have them, they're broken. And it's like, yeah. well, that's useless. Yeah. Or it's covered in gunk. I'm like, yeah. what is this? Yeah, but the same thing is true for bathrooms yeah there's just not a lot of changing stations in the men's rooms and I, hopefully that's some of that's changing but you got so many more what they call hands-on dads uh these days which is great dad's getting involved with the kids and so you know i'm one of those dads and so i definitely appreciate a bathroom with a changing table <laughs> finally somebody who understands me right <laughs> Uh, well, before I kick it over to Daryl, I will just uh, create a secondary plug and say you should definitely go out and listen to those shows. I'm an avid listener. And the one cool thing about Woodway Radio that I really like is that th there's no reason – most podcasts you want to keep up with week to week. But because it's a history show, there's no reason you can't go back and listen to a bunch of the past shows that they've got on there. And the the duo, the, the two brothers, uh, Matt and Nate, are fantastic together. Um, so you can go back into their whole log and check it all out. It's really great. I feel like I feel like Nate sort of has more of a me type of a voice too, because he sounds like he just—I <laughs> don't know why. Because I know you guys are are out in the middle of the country, but he sounds like he like was just surfing yesterday. <laughs> what he Does sounds he really? like. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. And I had one—I had somebody tell me one time I worked at a business where I was doing a lot of phone calls, and they go, "You know what? You sound like a surfer." <laughs> I'm like, that "Okay, is so funny." <laughs> but, You're a bodyboarder. It close. works. Yeah, I'm in the water a lot, so hey. You're wearing a billabong hat right now. <laughs> That's true. It's I'm going to tell Nate all about that. I, I don't yeah. think he's ever heard that before that's really never funny. heard that before oh no. man yeah that's a first no. then we are very midwestern so we kind of we think we don't have an accent so maybe we are just maybe we're uh you know drawing on other accents i don't know <laughs> maybe that's what it is i don't know but you guys are fantastic to listen to so everybody listening to us you'll love that show go check it out and daryl i will turn it over to you all right so we have the daunting task of Covering four of the best films ever made <laughs> in a span of one hour. But I believe we can do it. All right, let's see. Challenge so, accepted. Um, we're talking about the Toy Story franchise today. One of my all-time favorites. Um, so I'm going to start off with this question. This is a franchise about toys. Primarily. There's some people in there, but primarily toys. So why is that so relatable to us? And what do we have to learn from these toys? Matt, I'm going to let you kick us off. From a, I think from a relatability standpoint, I mean, anybody who grew up post-1970 probably grew up in an era where, you know, toy companies, uh, fast food restaurants, um, you know, any number of retail outlets began to really target young people. And they did that with toys. And so toy companies, I mean, there's a, there's a whole show on Netflix, the toys that, that made us. Yeah. And yeah. They talk about, you know, just the, not, it's not an invention of toys, but when toys became sort of mass produced. And so anybody in maybe our age range can really relate to Saturday morning TV, McDonald Playlands, and a bevy of toys on birthdays and Christmases and stuff like that. And so I think it's relatable for us, definitely. But if you go and, like, I was 15 when the first Toy Story came out. So if I saw that with my parents who were baby boomers, they grew up with toys as well. They just had 
fewer toys. And so those toys were really, really important to them uh, because they may have only gotten, you know, one toy at Christmas. And so I think it doesn't really matter what age you are. You can relate to the idea of getting a toy and that toy being a huge part of your life. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I um, just to add on to that, I think I mean, Pixar as a company overcame so many problems to make this movie happen and have such a good story behind it. And I think it's a carrying forth the legacy that Disney actually started with in terms of when you don't use actual humans to tell your story or like or like a, some semblance of humans, like drawn humans. Um, when you actually use uh, whether it's animals that are turned into characters or in this case toys, I think you you make it automatically more relatable because I don't have to think, well, do I do I kind of resemble this toy in some way, shape or form? Or does this like represent me in some way? You, there's a barrier that's kind of removed there because it's like, oh, no, it's just a toy. It doesn't it's not anybody specific. Um, it's more generalized. So I think that's that's a big part of it, too. And I think they kind of I mean. I don't know if they lucked into this because the uncanny valley was so horrible back then. And so they're like, well, we better make it about something other than humans. So how about toys? <laughs> um, Cause obviously they have humans in here and the humans don't look, they look very cartoonish, which is a, just a wise choice on their part. But, um, but yeah, it's just, I think that they, they utilize these characters in such a way that um, it doesn't have to feel like, it's an if they put Tom Hanks in the role, like let's just say it was Tom Hanks playing a cowboy and you saw Tom Hanks, it just would take all of it out. Like so the fact that he's just voicing the character and the fact that all these other great actors are voicing these characters, I think in some ways makes it more relatable, just like we relate to Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck or whoever. Yeah, that's true. Matt, I like what you had to say about toys when we were kids too, because I look back at being a kid and having toys and being into things like G.I. Joe's and stuff like that. Mm. And why we didn't have as many choices back then mm. like right. there were a lot of toys yeah but nowadays you can watch pretty much anything on tv <laughs> and then go out and buy that toy right <laughs> that was not the case back then no you're right yeah and so. you know the second part of your question there like what do we have to learn from the toys or what you know do the toys teach us what's interesting about pixar as a company as a film production company and the stories they tell is that a lot of times when they use characters like the toys or like Wally, who's a robot, or any number of inanimate objects that, you know, per, are personified, there's sometimes they assign like more humanity to those mm. characters. And so there's more depth to those characters that I think we can relate with. They have fears, they have anxieties, they have joy. And I think those emotions that they carry are relatable too and we can we, we sort of reflect on our own hum humanity when we see Wally like Wally appreciates things that we take for granted same thing is true for toys there's this loyalty there that you know maybe in the modern day some of us lack and yet these toys still have this yeah there is a there is a sense too just to pick up on that that when you deal with um, particularly toys it's just just such a fascinating thing you you can actually have uh, more depth to it because we're not looking at human beings and going like, well, in the real world, would this situation occur? So you can actually go straight to the emotion of the situation as opposed to the suspension of disbelief. Right. Yeah. And the fact that you've got... You don't like, have to work out the physics of your toys coming to life. <laughs> no, right. not at all. If they really walk yeah. that way. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, and you have like, you have these like... Uh, 
you know, human beings that are out there that feel like what, what you can relate to it, right? Because if you're coming from a spiritual background of some kind, you can go, well, there's forces out there that exist that are interacting with us that we have to deal with, although it's not necessarily always, uh, we're not always dealing with them. Sometimes we're not dealing with them. And it just t- kind of takes the suspension of disbelief and it breaks it down from what we might like if they said to us these are real people and there is uh there is there is like this spiritual entity that is controlling the people you'd be like what in the world like instantly like <laughs> i'm out man like this is crazy um or unless you believed exactly what they were trying to say then you'd be like oh i'm super in but the fact that they take that out of the equation but it's still impactful to the story means that different people can relate to it in very different ways which is fascinating yeah it's true um, okay, I'm going to make you guys pick between your children here. So, Oh, no. <laughs> Jay, you start us off on this one. What's your favorite Toy Story film? Oh, man, that's really difficult. Oh, by the way, I just have to tell a really quick story before I answer this question. Because you, when you brought it up about the, all the toys, uh-huh. Daryl and I, um, we go for walks occasionally. And Daryl and I were walking with his son. And we went into a, uh, a Walmart. And I'm looking around going... I have never seen any of these toys before. But like, there's a TV show for every single one of them. Like they license every. Oh, it's crazy! Yes. Yeah, there there were toys for Fortnite, and I'm like, well, you got to be kidding me! Like yeah. this is insane. <laughs> so just to pick up on that point, like it has somebody who doesn't have kids that does that rarely goes into the toy section of a store. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it <laughs> is crazy. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Back to the uh, back to the question. I think I still have to choose the first Toy Story movie. Um, the, the fourth one, uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more. The fourth one I thought was hilarious and I enjoyed the entire movie. I did feel like it was, you know, maybe a point lower on the scale. Whereas with the first three movies, they're like nine plus, like nine and a half plus, like, and they're very close for me. One, two, and three. Um, but I think that I'm still going to go with one. I might choose three second and two third. But I know a lot of people, too, is their favorite. So, yeah, all three of those films are right up there. Amazing films. What do you think, Matt? Man, this is tough, too, because I thought about this. And people used to ask me this question. And I would I would always tell them the first Toy Story. And I think that was more of a, a personal thing for me. Because as I mentioned before, I saw that first one at 15. I'm not yet really much of a teenager. I'm not driving or doing any of that stuff. So I'm still kind of a kid. And I, I just think that that film... Just, you know, it met me at that age in an appropriate way. But from a storytelling perspective, I think it's definitely three. I do have personal connections to that film because, believe it or not, and this is something you're going to learn about me, I work in a prison. And that movie has a lot of prison uh, culture and subculture in it that you can recognize. So there is like a lot of, you know, personal things that I recognize there that are in that film. But just as a whole, I feel like Toy Story 3 tells the best story it's a reset on you know what your role is in life and there's all these different moments that come and and i'm with you all of these films even the fourth one for me because it's so much fun they're all in that eight you know to ten category on you know a Mm. 10 point scale so i love all of them it's it is like choosing between children but i'm going with three (laughs) (laughs) i'm going with three also oh wow i think three for me is like the animated Avengers Endgame. It has it has everything. <laughs> nice. It yeah. has these high adventure moments that I can stand up and cheer for. Yeah. It has these unbelievably impactful emotional beats that make me cry and yeah. teach me things and inspire me in my life. And 
it looks beautiful. It has great characters. It has great villainy in it. Yeah. So. And the incinerator is truly oh. terrifying. Yeah, like, but you yes. know what? Truly terrifying. My son will watch that scene over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, and I'm not going to say too much about this because we'll get to it later. But, but the first film he won't watch because of Sid. Scares oh, the heck out of me. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. But I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, Don't yeah. respond to that because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to bring that up later. Okay, perfect. So yeah, I'd go for three as well. It's nice. terrifying. I remember watching that with my wife, and I was like, "Oh my, is it, are we still watching Toy Story?" Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. And I know we're going to talk more about villains, but like that too. I mean, you had some very strong villains yeah. that are that the that the toys are themselves are afraid of. And again, that just that you know you have muscle in that prison. You have the 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 boss. I mean, there's just there's a lot <laughs> so going. On. It feels like any other you know, Hollywood, you know, well-produced Hollywood film. And it's, you know, it's a story about toys. Yep. It's crazy. Um, Let's talk a bit about Woody and Buzz. They have become one of the all-time great duos. So I want to, I want to go through a little bit. What makes their relationship so meaningful and how do they complement each other as characters? Matt, why don't you kick us off here? So I think, you know, at the, at the heart of this, you know, it begins in conflict, right? Because they both have this identity thing they're working on and then they go on this sort of adventure and they have to sort of help each other out. So there's like, there's a journey here. And we see this like in literary history and all this other stuff where people who kind of make these journeys together, the, you know, the weakest example of that would be like dumb and dumber. Uh, the strongest example <laughs> of that would be like of mice and men, right? Where you have these two characters and they're sort of, you know, symbiotic in a, in a way. And I think what makes them strong or a strong compliment is the, is the fact that, their relationship was born in struggle, and then we see them begin to relate to each other in a way that probably they never could have, you know, uh, never could have predicted early on. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's a great way to say it. I don't have much else to add to that, but <laughs> just to add some of the, I guess, we don't see a lot of characters develop intimacy. Oh, sorry, let me say that again. I don't think we see a lot of uh, same gendered characters or same sex characters develop the kind of intimacy as friends that the that these two friends develop yeah. over time they see one another for their strengths they see one another for their relate for their weaknesses and that relationship builds out of that right so as you start to see like okay well you know uh it, you know the beginning of the film like you're talking about starts in conflict where buzz literally is he thinks he's somebody that he's not and yet Woody is sort of, hey, like you need to realize you're not this dude. And he's threatened by that to an extent. He's threatened by Buzz to an extent. But as they become more familiar with each other, they actually recognize, you know what, though? You are amazing and you can do really cool things. And it's like, yeah, well, I appreciate that. You're also amazing and you're the leader, right? Like Buzz turns to Woody like, you're the leader. I'm not trying to take your position. You're great at that. So, and then they develop this this relationship where they are kind of always there for each other. They understand one another's and how they're they're reacting emotionally to things. And I don't think we see a lot of that in 2019 in our movies. You know, yeah. we tend to see more of a Fast and Furious relationship where it's like, hey, I was trying family. so hard not to bring up Dom and Brian, but <laughs> yeah. you went ahead and went yeah, there. Yeah, okay, so. I had to go there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, so it's like this kind of more surface level, like bro y type relationship, but that's not what these characters have. It's deeper than that. And I yeah. think it's cool. That's, yeah. that's such a great point, too. And I know you're going to answer here, but I just want to compliment that by saying they. 
they begin to understand their roles and there's this like team aspect that comes out of it too it's it's and with that it's not just like hey these are our jobs but like it's an emotional connection something you would have like if you're you know if you're on a faraway planet and these were the only people you had and you had to protect them and you had to insulate them and you respected them wholly and again it's two what we perceive to be two male characters that's such a it's such a fascinating thing. We'd never see that anymore. Even like if you watch Die Hard and you see Al Powell and John McClane, like at some point, there's, <laughs> there, you know, it's a buddy company. There's an emotional connection that is formed and that is rare. Yeah. Um, and, and just before you go, let me just say this too. I never would have made this connection before, but I feel like the Toy Story franchise is the more human, more, uh, idealistic view on the world comparative to the walking dead because they're always going into a new environment with this new giant villain and instead of it being hopeless it's always hopeful yes you know that's a great point like we're gonna wow. we're gonna work through this exactly and the world's gonna get better at the end but that's like right. not that's in the right. walking dead they work through problems and the world's still terrible yeah so exactly right. there's a there's good so woody is rick grimes right <laughs> that's right who's buzz is that daryl dixon probably probably, probably. so yeah probably. yeah <laughs> and then rick grimes you know he's off the show now and woody's left the group yeah so. it's just it's just copycat is what it is. That's yeah. all they're doing. It's just copying. <laughs> That's right. Like, so. what if The Walking Dead were hopeful? Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> and then, by the way, their relationship begins in conflict as well. That's so true, true, There's all too. of these, like, mirror moments here. That's true, Much too. more violent and obvious conflict. But, yeah. The same. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the only thing I was going to add to this is um, what I love about these two characters is they come from very different perspectives. Like... Buzz is all toy, right? He's all toy. He's all adventure. He has no concept at the beginning of what his relationship to a child is supposed to be. Mm. And Woody is all about that relationship to a child. So much that we find out in the second film that he doesn't even know his past as a toy. Mm. He knows he's a cowboy, but he doesn't under- he doesn't know about Woody's roundup and the whole history that he comes from. Right. So they have those two different perspectives. Yeah. And those two perspectives come together and make sort of a, a holistic worldview yeah. to drive these movies. That's a great point. And what I really love about them is they don't change each other. Mm. Yeah. They bring more out of each other. Oh, you know what I mean? That's a great point, too. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. Woody helps Buzz to be more of who Buzz should be, and Buzz helps Woody to be more of who Woody should be. Yeah. It's like they don't force them to do something. They just enhance them. Right. Great point. Which... That's, cool. That's a hard story to tell. Super difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's impressive. Um, Matt, you alluded to this a little bit in your answer to the previous question, but for a bunch of toys who don't age, these characters experience a lot of personal transformation, whether it be their identity or whatever else. So I'm curious, which character arcs speak to you guys the most throughout this franchise? Jay, why don't you start? I mean, it's hard not to go straight to the duo we just talked about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just watching Woody and Buzz as they develop, and 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 also there's a lot of the secondary characters that have pretty rich storylines going on, even if we don't see them. Um, like in the fourth movie, I mean, Bo Peep's storyline is really rich with a lot of detail. She ends up being a really strong character because of the adversity that she goes through when she's off screen. Um, we get a little bit of that in flashbacks and stuff, but so I, 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 but I think at the end of it, 
there's so much at stake with Woody's identity throughout all four movies that it's hard not to choose him. We see everything in the story sort of reacts to Woody's journey, right? So it's even as even if we see Buzz and Buzz goes through his journey, it's almost more so so that we can see how Woody's reacting to the fact that Buzz is experiencing these things. Yeah. So I think it'd be pretty hard not to say Woody is in terms of what I look at in terms of characters and how they how they're developing through arcs and the fact that they can get him to go through four arcs that are related and seem like a character moving through the a life like a real character going through a real life is remarkable because i talk on on this show frequently about how difficult it is for a character to go through two arcs yeah um the fact that they can take him through four is yeah amazing so i would say woody probably for that reason okay what do you think man yeah and and woody you know is is a benefit of you know he's your surrogate he takes you through all of the different scenarios uh whether mm. it's he's getting kidnapped from the yard sale or you know, he's uh, uh, trying to free the others from the prison or, uh, you know, the daycare Sunnyside. Uh, so you've got all of this, you know, you have a great, you know, the, the story, the franchise focuses on him. But then there's these kind of sleeper characters. And so some of it, I don't think I could ever relate well with Buzz's hubris from the first film. But then he, again, he, he kind of ascends to this leadership position by the time you get to the fourth. And I think... I think you also see that with Jessie, and she's kind of yeah. the character that you kind of sleep on, and then like in moments, she has these really strong, memorable parts that like aren't on the trailer, and they're not the ones that you probably talk about at home after because they're not a central part of the plot, but she's always there with this sort of consistency. So I really like Jessie as a character. I wish they really could have done more in developing her in this last one, but the focus was on Bo, so then you'd have this sort of conflict there. But I, you know, I love all of these characters. Forky is not my choice here for this one. It, <laughs> I think it has to go. It has to go to Woody. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, even in actual, you know, theatrical uh, performances, it's very difficult for a character to do what Woody has been able to do. And you can credit. I think you can credit. Not just the writing, but also Tom Hanks. I mean, he is the everyman, right? Right. Uh, and so he does that again in these stories, and you can always put yourself in his shoes. And for most of us, we've been in his we've been in his shoes in any number of these situations. We've dealt with loss, uh, you know, and, and all the other emotions that come with that. And we've dealt with different scenarios in our lives that either, you know, they either drive us forward or they hold us back. And so we see him go through that. So his his arc is going to be the best because. You know, there's so much emphasis put on it by the by the storytellers. Mm. Yeah, he's definitely the strongest. That's for sure. I love that you brought up Jesse. Yeah. Um, one of the things that fascinates me about Jesse is if this was a Joss Whedon film or a Zack Snyder film, mm -hmm. Jesse is the one who would snap and start murdering everybody. Poor <laughs> <Because laughs> <Before> Jesse. <laughs> because look how tragic her story is like yeah, yeah yeah she was she tried so long to hold on to the woody's roundup thing even though it was a lie and she knew it and yeah she was stuck in that for so long that you can just in other darker movies that's the character that snaps yeah. and right. that's the character that has all of this horrific behavior because of the trauma that they've been through right but she just moves on and is able to carry the joy from that into this new version of her life 
And I just think there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah, she's a great character. I like that a lot. She's so good. Yeah, and she becomes part of the team. She becomes part of the group, even though yeah. she's you know begins as far as we see her begins in this sort of isolation. And so yeah, it's she's a really she's an awesome character, and um, I I I really do wish they would have done more with her. It's just that I think they had so many plot lines they were dealing with in the fourth film that that really couldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. You've totally now you now you made me just think of Jesse sitting in a corner going corner going, the red capes are coming, <laughs> the red capes are coming, and now I can't get that out of my head and it's all messed up. <laughs> she looks up at Buzz and says, "Why so serious?" Yeah, exactly. Like, wait, what's happening, Jesse? I know. Can't I know. This happen. And I know I framed this question around toys, but I also think there's something to be said for Andy in, in yeah. these movies, like. I know we kind of see him on the peripheral and it's really more about the toys, but Andy growing up is a big part of the journey of these stories as well. I was almost going to bring up a scene and I see in the notes that you have the scene coming up. So okay, I won't talk we'll about get it there. Yes. <laughs> Before we get there, let's talk about villains. So um, I'm going to be honest and say, this is my favorite question that I wrote <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for this podcast. Um, uh, because I think there's, something very key for us to learn from the villainy in these mm. movies. So we have two kinds of villains in these films. We have human villains and we have toy villains, mm. right? Um, the human villains are kind of surfacey. Like there's Sid and he's mean, mm. you know, and there's Al, he's greedy. Um, and we don't get a lot of motivation for that. It's just mm. kind of, that's who they are. Um, but if you look at all the toy villains, every single one of them seems to be reacting out of some human inflicted trauma mm. that they've been through in the past, whether it's um, the prospector who never got played with yeah. by kids, um, or it's a toy who's been left behind by their by their child, whatever it is, it seems like we have motivation for the toy villains and no motivation for the human villains. Mm. So I definitely have thoughts about this, but. I want to hear your guys' thoughts first. What does this say about the differences between toys and humans in these films? Um, and then I have another question here, but I'm going to save it. Let's go through that one first, and then we'll come back to the second question. So, Matt, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, and the way that you set that up, I mean, I, I just think that that's paramount to the discussion is that we get the backstory on especially in toy story three and that's part of what makes it such a strong film is it's yeah. they're not just superficial villains right we know we feel their pain you know they they the you know Lotso he's been left behind and big baby can't remember his name you know he he's he plays the muscle in the prison but he has this traumatic backstory too and so i you know i think it was easier maybe for the writers to allow you to see through the eyes of the toy. I mean, it's ultimately, it's a toy story. And so, you know, we're going to see all the different layers that these toys have to offer. And I just, I mean, it's, I think it's genius the way that they were able to sort of delineate between humans and toys as quote unquote villains here. But I just think, you know, as far as toys go, if we go back to my first answer they want to show you, you know, humanity, and they're doing it through the lens of the toy. And so, mm. I, you know, they've, they've done that really well, and they've kind of always stuck to that. And we see that even in the fourth film. Mm. Absolutely. I want to you go first, man. Do you like, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say. I do have a thought, but I want you to go first. 
I don't know. I just, I'm, you know, we like to read into things and we like to start. We'd never do that. As we well. like to impose thoughts about? and ideas that may not have been there to begin <laughs> with. But, um, but these stories, they have a, a brain trust, right? Behind all these they stories. Do, yeah. So who am I to say that these ideas weren't there to begin with? But I just feel like. Granted, like like Matt, like you said, it is a toy story, so the, the story is centered around toys, but it feels like there's almost this idea that toys are all good. Mm. Yeah. You know? Mm. Like, they all start that way. Mm. They start good. Mm. And as humans, you know, we don't. <laughs> right? So, so I'm just... I think that's an interesting, maybe a little backhanded commentary there. Very you know, it's like that's so smart. the toys, the toys aren't going to hurt us. Yeah. Like they're not going to hurt us. Yeah. You know, the toys didn't hurt Al. Al's greediness hurt Al. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so it seems like the toys are there for humans. They're not going to hurt humans, but boy, can we hurt the toys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's I the, think it'll uh, oh, go ahead, Matt. I was gonna say it's the uh, it's the innocence that we sometimes see in like movies about dogs, yeah. you ever, or like <laughs> yeah, animals, yeah. right? Yeah. Like sometimes dogs get lost or they get discarded, and you never you never lose hope for that innocent creature. And so it just speaks to what you're saying there. And that's I mean that's not to get biblical, but yeah, if you're talking about like human beings and their original sin, I mean like that. You know, yeah, that kind I mean, of plays into from, so yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what plays into those characters. They're 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 the ones who get in their own way and for the toys, you're right, they're they're innocent. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you can um you know we uh, when I talked about like the toys versus humans to begin with and having another layer, there's like another layer that exists on the world and we don't always know how that layer interacts with us. Some people call it fate, some people call it god, some people call it whatever they call it. And it allows for them to play with ideas and themes in a way that still seems very human to us as if we put ourselves in the toys kind of realm of thinking. Because now, like what you guys are basically talking about is uh, Sid is evil that just exists. And sometimes just evil things happen and we go, I don't know why that happened, but there was a giant hurricane and it killed lots of people, right? right. That hurricane, Sid is that hurricane. Right, and we have to now deal with the hurricane in some way, and the toys are having to deal with the hurricane in some way, and yet there's also still the idea that through our brokenness we can start to hurt other people around us, and that's where the other toys come in. So you've got this 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 source of good that exists in like Bonnie or Andy, right? But you've also got this source of evil that exists in Sid, and these are kind of major themes that are that are working their way through most of our storytelling, whether it's the Force or whether it's you know something else. And then you've got these toys that have been very broken, and their brokenness comes out as they hurt other people around them to try and achieve something, to try and get back to a sense of uh, restorativeness, right, or redemption. And so, yeah, I think it's really fascinating, but I, I never really thought about it before until we started talking about it now. But it's really a good way of setting it all up in a way that we can all relate to. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I had another little second question tacked on to this, just you know, getting into the nuances of that and talking through it a little bit more. I started to wonder, are there actually heroes and villains in these films? Mm. Can mm. we fairly label them as heroes and villains? 
I think you guys have already schooled me on this uh, <laughs> <laughs> on this whole question uh, because you you've answered it so smartly. I you know I hate to say so. Okay, let's go back to the let's go back to the prison thing here because I'm just going to offer some insight that I think maybe just comes from my perspective is that yes, there are innocents and they have been broken by an external force or you know it's the humans that have done this to them. But at some point you are still making choices, mm. right? And so if I'm if I'm evaluating Lotso and he becomes sort of Machiavellian over time and, and everything yeah. I'm doing is going to benefit me at the expense of you, at some point that's a choice, right? So mm. the, mm-hmm. to me, you know, we could look at it and say, okay, the toys are innocent. Yeah, they were innocent when something traumatic happened to them, but part of the story is that they chose to go in a different direction. Jesse had traumatic experiences, but she went in a different direction. So mm. I think there are villains. I think Lotso is the best example of that for a long period of time. Um, we don't see that in the fourth film. We see something a little more innocent with our quote-unquote villain. But with Lotso, we see, a, um, we see him sort of hold on to the idea that, you know, being vindictive will lead him to the place he wants to get to. And to me that's a choice. So that makes him a villain. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that I think that's a really good way of putting it. That these we talk a lot about on this show when we talk about heroes and villains, heroes make selfless choices. Right. Which you you can see Woody all the time making these choices, right? Like, oh there's right. a toy in trouble. I gotta go save him <laughs> at my own, you know, at my own peril. Um, but, but we also see like Matt's talking about, we see these toys that go, no, 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 I'm going to make the selfish choice and I don't care how many people it hurts and I'm going to look out for my tribe or myself over their tribe and themselves. Um, and I think that that's a really good insight because I think that's exactly what, so it's, 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 you know, you see a, a villain like Sid and he is just this force of chaos right? for toys. And we don't, if we were to see Sid's backstory, I bet you, we would see a lot of, uh, issues there too, right? Like, but he—that's not. It wouldn't be a kids movie. <laughs> no, right. no, it would not. No, it's the. I think they're making a Joker movie about it yeah. right now. Actually, It'd be Donnie Darko or something. Like that. <laughs> right. Uh, so you know, I think that that when you make selfish choices, you are a villain. And that doesn't mean that you can't be redeemed. It doesn't mean you can't turn around at the end and and make different choices. But uh, you do have to. There are consequences to the choices along the way as well. So I yeah. think it's really good. Yeah, I, I I probably got a little misleading there because I was like, are there actually heroes and villains in this movie? And yes, I think there are too. I agree with you. Guys. <laughs> well, I, when you first posed the question, I really did think about it for a long oh, yeah. time, and I'm like, well, maybe they're just, maybe they're innocent, and they don't, you know, they don't have to yeah. be accountable anymore. But like at the same time, like no, not really. Like especially with human beings, like at some point, it's on you to yeah. to make the right choice. So it's it's hard for me to say none of them are villains. Tons of heroes in these movies. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, definitely. and I questioned it too. I mean, that's why I wrote the question. But it really, it really leads you to the same path that you would go down if you were talking about Thanos or Killmonger, yeah, or some of these these villains who are clearly villains, but they have some well crafted rationale behind what they're doing. Doesn't yes. make it right. It doesn't justify that means, you know. But. Um, like Anakin Skywalker, for example. I sure. mean, that's a perfect yeah. one that we see play out over six films. And I've always wondered, like, since I've watched the 
prequels and the originals, like I'm like, why did we need to redeem this guy? Like, <laughs> uh, did we really spend three films redeeming him? Like, he did some really bad stuff. Like, <laughs> they made him worse when they yeah. did the sequel or the prequels. Yeah, yeah he, he killed younglings. Right, I mean, he killed younglings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why are we redeeming him? It's, yeah. so, it's not good. No, no, not so much. What's up, Story Geeks? You know how much I care about storytelling, and I'm really excited because the story I co-wrote with Nathan Sheck, the time travel novel Time Slingers, is now available on Amazon.com. Reviewers are calling Time Slingers a fast-paced, fun read, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Time Slingers is available in print as an audiobook and on the Kindle. And for a limited time, the Kindle version is only 99 cents, but that won't last forever. Go pick up the time travel novel that a Writer's Digest judge called Trailblazing and went on to say that it had a place in literary history. I don't know about all that, only time will tell, but I do think you'll really enjoy it. It has a four and a half out of five stars from 40 plus Amazon reviewers. Time Slingers is also great for young readers, so don't hesitate to buy a copy for your kids, probably 10 and above. Need a good read? Head over to Amazon.com and search for Time Slingers or click the link in the show notes. Um, okay, let's go through each of these films. You know, obviously we're trying to keep this to a reasonably paced podcast here, so we can't spend too much time on each one of these films, but I've pulled out a specific scene that I wanted to talk about from each one. Um, so we'll kind of use that as our guide. And we'll start with the first Toy Story, and we alluded it. We alluded to it earlier, and um, I want to talk about Sid and what he's done to his toys, <laughs> and <laughs> how scary that scene is when that gets revealed. My son will not watch that this movie. Yeah, he won't watch the first Toy Story. He loves all the other ones. Yeah, he yeah. won't watch this one because of this scene. Yeah. So why is it so frightening? Yeah, Jay. So going back to what I was talking about earlier, like he is a force of chaos. So if you view the, if you view it from let's like let's just talk about the fact that if Sid were a real kid and toys were inanimate objects that have no living force, no Sid's life a real force, kid. whatever. I've, I've met Sid before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sid exists. We all in the know world. a Sid, yeah, right? We know like, a Sid. Yeah. yeah. So if you take all the emotion out of the toys, then Sid's just having a really good time with some some <laughs> yeah. plastic things, right? right? Um, but if you look at it from the toys perspective, and we know that those toys do have emotion, that Sid becomes this source of total chaos and evil for the toys. And so I think what's terrifying about it is that Sid has Sid has an intent. That's one that's the one thing that like I would say that is different than a hurricane versus Sid is that like a hurricane is a natural occurrence that the world just has about it. Yeah. That's, it, is a, it is an occurrence that it does. And it doesn't mean there's not a reason for hurricanes. I think there are reasons for hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes or whatever. Um, we know that scientifically in a lot of cases. But we then can look at Sid and go, well, his intent is chaos and his intent is and he might not know that he's hurting the toys, but it doesn't matter because they're being hurt and we see their pain. Yeah. And that is super terrifying to experience. Um, not to mention the fact that the uncanny valley is real here and Sid is terrifying <laughs> looking. 
Um, even the way he's voiced is sounds like the kid you would not want to hang out with, right? Yes. So yeah, I think there's all those reasons make it really, really scary. And like all good terrifying villains, he has a terrifying dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a great Matt, point. what do you think? <laughs> yeah, so uh, when we see Sid, you know, we see him, you know, early on, and then what I think what's important about you know, him disfiguring the toys. And you made a great point is that we, we now understand that the toys have emotions. We've, you know, sort of personified them. We see that they have a a range of uh, feelings that they're dealing with on a daily basis. A point at which we see Sid has disfigured these toys who we think at first are like scary, right? They're in the room and these toys come to life and it's terrifying. Mm. And then we realize that like these toys have been disfigured and manipulated and they're scared too, and so you just—I mean, it's—it's it's just that moment uh, in the film that's later on, and I think the the pacing and the timing makes it more intense. If we saw that early in the film, it would be different, but like the point at which we see it now, we have these emotional connections. So for us, it makes it so much more scary to see what has happened. Hmm. Yeah, I remember that when I watched this movie for the first time, and I thought that scene—it was frightening. Yeah, and. You know, in my youth, I think I was probably about 18 when I saw this movie for the first time. I don't remember. but What year did it come out? 96? I don't know. Yeah, end of 95. End okay, of 95. Okay. So, yeah, I had just, just gotten out of high school. So, yeah, about 18. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember seeing that scene and thinking, oh, well, they had to put that in there, right? They need some adventure. They need something yeah. scary, <laughs> right? It's just a tactic. Right. But, you know, as I've gotten older and learned how stories work and stuff like that, it's brilliant. Yeah. Because, Matt, like you said, these characters have a range of emotion, but we don't really get that mm. until we see the pain that they can suffer. Mm. You know, like up until that point, it's like, oh, this is so cute. They have yeah, emotions, right. they're happy, they can be sad, and this is so magical. Yeah. And then we see them face this, and it's like, oh, man, <laughs> there's right. ugliness in their world just like there is in ours. You know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. And it just makes it so much more relatable and makes us buy into them as characters and not just cute toys walking around. Yeah. Well, and there's, it's so fascinating too the fact that and Matt, you kind of brought this up that he's he's made these um, he's made these grotesque toys, and the first response and we have this response a lot of times ourselves, right? In yeah. response to something grotesque, we go, "Oh, get that away from me." Yeah. But the reality is, a lot of times, whether it's other people or whatever. Those are just like us, just experiencing the world a slightly different way. Yeah. And the the idea that they would go, oh, we need to be sympathetic because these are still toys. Um, they ha- they have immense amounts of value because they're toys, despite the fact that they've been disfigured or broken or whatever, whatever the metaphor you want to use there. And that's amazing that yeah. they would go through that process. Yeah. We, we we often look at like Finding Dory, and we we, we assign that as like the the it's the film with. You know where disabilities are explored, but here's these physical disabilities that these yeah. toys now have. Yeah, mm. that we now have this great empathy for, and it makes Sid even more villainous. Yes, when we see this sort of played out, and it does make it more intense. He becomes more scary because he's willing to do these things that Andy would never do. Right. You know. Right. 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 That's yep. good. All right, let's move on to Toy Story Two. Um, this is a different kind of question for us. We don't normally get into like reviewing films and stuff like that, but I might see this as a little bit of a slight flaw in these movies, so I was curious what you guys think. Mm. But 
Um, in Toy Story 2, Buzz meets another version of himself who doesn't yet understand that he's a toy. <laughs> so this franchise is all about the relationships between toys and children and stuff like that. And we've already gone through the exercise of Buzz having this revelation. So to me, I'm wondering if it was really worth exploring the idea of more toys who aren't self-aware. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if was that a... Was that a tangent that we didn't need, mm. or does that contribute to the story in some way? Mm. So, Matt, what do you think? I guess it can make you appreciate the self-awareness uh, that Buzz comes to acquire, um, you know, throughout the first film, and then, of course, into the second film. I don't know of any other value it would have beyond that, <laughs> to be honest. Like, when you I read this question, I was like, gosh, I don't really know how to answer that, because it doesn't feel anything like the rest of the story you know now especially since we have four stories um it doesn't feel anything like the rest of what we explore it is interesting that they do this sort of artistic sort of existential moment or whatever but like at the same time it's like i don't know that it made the film or the franchise better Mm. yeah it's interesting they do a lot of these things in these films where the secondary characters have moments yeah and the one thing I think that it does, and I and I have to say that I haven't seen Toy Story two in a while, so to say whether or not it fits, I'm like, oh man, I can't even remember, I can't remember uh, exactly how it plays out, so I can't say if it fits or not. But I can say that the they round out their secondary characters so well. I mean, even just seeing the the relationship between Mrs. Potato Head and Mr. Potato Head, yeah. and the way that they kind of go at each other, but like like it's just. It's very, it's so artfully done because you can look at that and be like, that's my mom and dad, or that's my aunt and uncle, or, you know, like that's my, my, my wife and I. Like, it's just so easy to look at them and just, and kind of find yourself in that. And I think the value that it has is that I have recognized this as I've gotten older. And I, I recently worked for um, a university, and it's really fascinating to see yourself in college age kids being almost twice their age. Yeah. And you're looking at these college-age kids, and you're like, oh, man, you're the buzz who's not self-aware yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and, and you know, some of them are self-aware in some ways. I'm not just saying, like, oh, college kids don't know what the world's like. But life um, experience. And- right. Yeah, but life experience teaches you because you look back on the way that you process something. And we can look through Buzz's eyes, right? Like, oh, I have these wings, and these wings will let me fly. Yeah. No, they let you glide, buddy. Yeah. Like, and, and you could look at a college student and be like, yeah, you're real smart, and you're real attractive, but guess what? It was not going to get you that yeah. far. Like, we all saw people in college that were like that. So I think that it, what it does is it rounds out the characters to the point where we go, oh, wow, Buzz is seeing his former self and realizing – what he was like to be around yeah and that does something for him moving forward as well so that's why i I like that it's in there yeah yeah i mean there's definitely a a circular thing to it i just i guess i have two slight problems with it and i don't want to get all negative because i love these movies to death (laughs) but um one it does feel like it's addressing a journey that he kind of already went on in the first film you know It's like we saw Buzz become self-aware. We don't need to see it again. Yeah. And the other thing is just like with the whole, it was fun to see more of Emperor Zerg. But once you get into the whole like Emperor Zerg is Buzz's father thing, like (laughs) I feel like when Toy Story came out, it didn't have access because this was the first Pixar film, right? So they didn't have the clout that they have now. Right. 
And I feel like Toy Story didn't have access to all of the licensing that they would have liked to have had. Uh, like they couldn't touch G.I. Joe. They couldn't touch Barbie. They couldn't touch Transformer. You know, any of right. that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, they got the potato heads and they got, you know, barrel of monkeys and stuff like that. But they had, for the most part, to make up their own toys. Mm. And I feel like in the second and even the third film, to a degree, they tried to progress that too much. Uh. You know, they tried to get into known properties in sneaky ways. Yeah. To kind of relate to the world. Yeah. And then I feel like in the fourth one, they completely throw that out and return back to mm. just coming up with their own stuff, which I think is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not throwing that out there as a major flaw for these movies because, like I said, I love these movies. But so it you just hate stands Toy out Story. To yeah. You're saying you hate Toy Story? <laughs> yeah, by, by our I'm listeners' just... standards. Yes, I hate <laughs> Toy Story. I just want to be clear. Daryl hates Toy Story. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to come down on me for this. I know it. <laughs> uh, okay, Toy Story 3. This is the scene, right? The scene that we all watched through tears and, you know, oh, it's dusty in here. Like, yeah, 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 I'm not crying, you know. And, but it's Andy handing his toys down to Bonnie at mm. the end of the film. So how did this scene strike you guys? What emotions did it stir up? What did, you rem- what did it remind you of in your life? Like, why was it touching for you to experience this scene? Because let's be honest, it was. I'm not even going to ask if it was because I know it was. So, Matt, what do you think? I don't think I have a um, a direct relationship with the scene. I don't think there's ever been a moment where, like, I pass something to someone. Um, I think for me, you know, what's interesting about this, and I don't want to get too personal, but this is kind of a personal question, I guess. Sure it so is. Yeah. we, I actually lost my father the year that this movie came out. So for me, Mm. there's this sort of father. I know it's Andy and Bonnie, or I know it's, yeah, Andy and Bonnie, but there's also this idea of like passing down a legacy and like protecting that thing. And so I kind of, it was kind of a weird sort of moment thinking and thinking back on this film of like, that's what happened at that time too. Like I had to, so I could be Bonnie. I become the kid who, you know, gets access to the thing and then I, it makes me more mature or I'm like protecting someone's legacy or I'm, you know, also seeing it from the other side and like I'm uncovering or discovering, you know, these things that somebody else had and it's making me better or it's it's providing a better life for me or something or I'm like reflecting on this relationship between like passing something off. So for me, that the personal, I can't really, it's hard for me to articulate it again because it is personal but there's that just that moment of, you know, between generations that I see. That's that's always mm. why it's been like an important moment for me. Not necessarily because I actually experienced that direct thing. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, it strikes me. It's interesting because I don't know of anything to where Matt's describing it as well. Like I don't can't think of a time where I was handing something down to somebody else. What it does speak to me about, though, is, and this is something that Pixar, in all their movies, does extraordinarily well. In fact, the minute they don't do this well, I think it's like almost glaring because they do it so well all the other times, right? It becomes Cars 2. <laughs> right. <laughs> a movie I actually haven't seen, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but but I think what they do is they, they capture they capture the they capture these bigger themes of life that we don't take time to reflect on very often. 
And then when it when it hits you in that way, when it hits you in a way of saying like, oh, this is a major theme of life that life keeps moving even when we don't want it to. Right. Yeah. The, it's going to life is going to keep moving for these toys, even though they would prefer to stay with Andy the way it has always been. It is not that way anymore. And so life kind of has these patterns, these circular patterns of the next generations now coming up. They're going to have an entirely different set of things to worry about, but it's still sort of similar. They're dealing with the world in the same ways. Humanity's problems are still humanity's problems. There's just, you know, which one do we want to focus on this year? Um, and I think that this moment encapsulates all of that, not only for the the human characters but also for the toys reacting to this thing that's happening to them and um and i do think it speaks to people in our lives the, the, the generations in our lives who start to pass away my mom passed away probably in a similar time frame to when this was out and it is that it is that that oh well that's no longer a thing anymore those yeah. relationships i can't take with me there's uh, uh i may have to develop new relationships where i get to pass the toys down now but so and i don't think we get a chance to in a lot of films we don't get a chance to let that really hit us but in for whatever reason in these films it hits us like a train yeah so it's just very impactful i think yeah i um Matt, you said the magic word for me. You said legacy. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is right. I love legacy. That's if you go back and listen to our show, I blab on about legacy constantly. <laughs> but your, um, is your take a shot word? It is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I I agree with you guys. I um, I have not suffered a loss as profound as losing a parent in my life as of yet. Hmm. Um, I've lost grandparents and I've lost people, but um, I think why it hits me so strongly is, you know, I'm in my forties, so I've been through several different stages of life as you know, we all have. And, um, I've definitely had periods in my life and ideas and experiences that I did not want to let go of. Mm -hmm. And I think this encapsulates that really well by putting it in the frame of being young enough and childlike enough to to play with toys mm. you know and you don't want to let go of that mm. you you have to grow up you have to take on bigger challenges and take on responsibility and be an adult yeah but you don't want to let go of some of these things that were such a profound beautiful joyful part of your life mm. so to see andy deal with that struggle Mm. relates to me i i feel that very strongly mm. but not just that he also finds a solution in something as simple as passing these toys down to bonnie mm. that joy is not just going to disappear yeah. you know that experience was not pointless it's now going to be mm. relived all over again through bonnie yeah and and the 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 doubling down effect is that Andy almost realizes that the toys are alive as much as so it's not just passing along it, because we as the audience know the toys right and we know the toys experience all these emotions and are, are experiencing this moment yeah. the way we are experiencing this moment so it's not just like saying to your kid for example well this was dad's army knife and now you can have it and I'm not saying that's not meaningful yeah right it's so much more than that though because he's carrying forward like the lives of these things that yeah. they're going to bring joy and emotion to her in ways that they brought to him and, and not just in an inanimate object way, but in a real life relational yeah. way. 
And that's really intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I like all those answers. I really do. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> hanging on to things and, and thinking about legacy and passing on, uh, you know, uh, passing on, you know, passing the torch, I guess. I uh, it, it just in that one thing, and you might be able to relate to this, like even when my dad passed away, there were he had like these boxes of like papers that he would take notes on. He was this old Vietnam vet. And so I couldn't throw those things away yeah. because it meant like I had to move on from that. And I was trying to hang on to it. And it was only like eight years later, gentlemen, that mm. I finally like discarded that. So I was like, you know, you got to come to terms with your, I was the adult. I've had another child since then. I mean, all of these different things. So the, all of those things come out of that scene and we can all relate to it for, you know, from different perspectives, but it all, you know, it, it all centers on that, on that same point of, yeah. you know, Andy is coming to terms with that. The toys are coming to terms with that. And, and it's it's hard for everybody, especially the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that we have movies like this that are addressing these things because, you know, I'm getting older. I'm getting more calloused. <laughs> but I have two sons who are going to go through this. Yeah. And I want to be there to walk through them, walk walk through it with them. Yes. In a loving fashion and not be like, oh, get over it. Be a man. <laughs> Shut up. Throw it away. You know? So... <laughs> Yeah, you want to be Woody and not Dom. I do, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or not Rick Grimes. Not Rick Grimes, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Toy Story 4. We see Woody part ways with the group at the end of this one and choose to live out his days with Bo. So my question is, does this feel in line with Woody's character throughout the franchise? Uh, Jay, why don't you start on this one? Yeah, it seems in alignment with his character. I, I can I can buy into it. I do think that it lacks some of the emotion of the prior movies because he is learning about what life will be like and what his new identity will shape out to be. He's also doing that here, but it's this is the this is the time where it's two things. I should say one thing feels like it's happening more than the other. And that means that he's making the choice more than the choice is happening. Also happening to him at the same mm -hmm. time In all the other movies, these culmination of events comes down to, he needs to make a choice, but also he's subject to the world at large, making other decisions that he can't reverse. He can't reverse Andy's age, Yeah, but he can choose about whether or not he's going to stay with Bonnie or move on with Bo. Like that's, and there's not like his, there's not a being a for uh, a choice being forced on him in the same way. He's just choosing to do it of his own volition. I don't mind it as a choice, but it was far less emotionally impactful to me as a choice than the other choices have been in this franchise. Yeah. So I don't mind it. I don't dislike it, um, which probably means I hate it. No, but uh, <laughs> but no, I think that I think that it's it's. Um, it's just not as impactful because the, there's not as much emotional depth in it. And also, the other thing is, too, I feel like, uh, you know, we get some flashbacks of his relationship with Bo, but they're not necessarily two characters that I'm like, I can't wait till Woody gets back with Bo because we don't have the same emotional depth that they're telling us that he has showing us to a certain degree, but kind of telling us. And so I don't I don't think those two things are as impactful to me. Um but I'm still okay with it. It's still, it's still fine. I understand why it's there. There's this is an aspect of love that they haven't done a lot of. It's been haven't spent a lot of time addressing. And so it's like, well, let's address that form of love. Like Woody's yeah. now leaving his family to go start his own family to a certain extent, right? right? Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I, I I'm fine with it, but it wasn't it didn't hit me the way that the other choices have hit me. Gotcha, Matt. What do you think? Wow, yeah. The first point that you made there is that you know for the first time in this film, we see in, in the series of films anyway, we see Woody make his own choice instead of that choice being placed upon him. And so normally what we see is these circumstances occur and Woody's trying to, you know, go back to that equilibrium that they previously had. And here, you know, I think we see this play out through the film is that he's dealing with the fact that he, it's not that he's becoming obsolete, but that he's, he doesn't have the same role with Bonnie that he had with Andy. Mm -hmm. Andy always had Woody and Bonnie you know, she had toys and then she had Woody, uh, you know, at a little bit of an advanced age. So I don't think they had the same connection. I think Woody still had the same connection. But I don't know if Bonnie did. And so Woody makes that choice that, you know, I've got to, you know, in a way I've got to grow up myself. And so he does the same kind of thing Andy does. So we see this kind of echo moment, in my opinion here between. Mm. But I agree with you. I didn't feel it had the same emotional impact for me it just felt like you know a plot turn so Mm. that you know we could see these characters go in a different direction or whatever so Mm. i don't know like i it it didn't bother me doesn't make me mad i like that woody has this sort of independence that he's kind of grown into because he's always been the like the loyal soldier or whatever so here he's he's going to explore his own life and uh and and that's good i think for that character his arc has been cool his arc his arc has been great central to the story but here you know he he gets to make his own choices Hmm. yeah i've uh so i love it for one reason and it bugs me for one reason (laughs) um i do find it distracting yeah um in the grand scheme of the whole franchise i think just because these movies have sort of defied the odds of just having a group of characters and continually telling stories about the same group of characters. Yeah. And it's always great. <laughs> <Right>. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you would expect more evolution and more change in a four film franchise. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, there's not much of it yeah. and you don't care because it's just so good every single time. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I didn't feel like something like this was necessary for this franchise. Right. But from another angle, I really love it because we've talked so much about the impact of humans on toys. And humans get to evolve. Humans get to grow up and move beyond needing toys. Yeah. And for the most part in these stories, the toys don't get to do that. Yeah. That's done to them. Yeah. And they don't get to make that choice to evolve and grow beyond their function as in service to a child, you know? Yeah. And here Woody does. He yeah. gets to transcend that and kind of evolve just like the humans get to. Hmm. So from that perspective, I feel like it's really cool. Yeah, totally. But it does distract me a little bit. <laughs> I know these movies have won Oscars in different categories. Yeah. But there is no question in my mind that if this were live action actors as opposed to animation, it would have won a best picture for one of the first three films for sure. No doubt. That's how powerful these films, I think, are. Yeah. Um, and it's just a shame that that I don't think any of them have won a Best Picture, right? Like, it, I don't think that's that's happened. I don't think so. I mean, now they have Best Animated Feature. Yeah. So maybe this one will win that. <laughs> I think <laughs> so. But. I think three was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least it got a nomination. But man, these are fantastic films. Yeah. 
Matt, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. I've had a, this has been a blast. And normally I don't get this in depth in character study uh, or, or, you know, plot study. You know, a lot of what we do on the show is looking at design and architecture and theme. And so here, like just diving into the stuff and, you know, that's what makes films so powerful is we just, we relate to them on a personal level. Sometimes, sometimes we don't at all. Uh, and we're just interested in it. Like I like the. Yeah, Terminator. we tried to do one of these episodes on the on the Meg, and it didn't <laughs> right, quite right. work out. So <laughs> it didn't well. go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the Jason Statham? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you're, it's gonna be hard pressed to find a lot of character depth uh, in those films. But you know, we uh, we get to do that. Sometimes we like films just because we like it. Like I love Ridley Scott films, but I don't really relate with any of the characters. I just appreciate what he does. Uh, but here, you know, these are so meaningful and and that's the story of pixar too is it you know mm. it's played out through toy story we see it in up we see it in wally we see it in any number of these films uh you know we see it as parents in uh finding nemo uh, you know all of these different moments that pixar has brought us that we can relate to and i think that's just the strength that's why this franchise has been the you know the the benchmark you know, against everything that Disney has done since 1996. And so it's just been a ton of fun talking about it here. And uh, again, I don't I probably don't do this enough on my own shows, like diving into these films, but it's it's been a lot of fun. Well, this is what we do. We dig and we dig and we dig. So you're you're welcome to come dig with us anytime. Yeah, you want. I love digging. <laughs> <laughs> and one more time, uh, just shout out your shows and what you're up to. So Wedway Radio, uh, 10th season of that show, started back in 2009. Uh, one of the first things we did was explore the D23 Expo. Now we're 10, year, 10 years of D23, which is so cool. And so just documenting um, you know, what Disney has done through the last 10 years has been great, but also diving into a lot of underexplored Disney history, the very first days of Disneyland, of Disneyland 1.0. What did those lands look like? What, what, what was on the minds of Imagineers? How did the world influenced what Walt Disney was doing at the 64 World's Fair or at Disneyland or as he moved forward with the, you know, utopian Epcot project. We dive into all that stuff. You mentioned it at the beginning of the show. The shows are evergreen. Most of that material has not changed. So you could go back to 2013 and listen to a show about, you know, building the Haunted Mansion and the story and all the things that went into that. And that story still exists and you can listen to it today. And it's just like we recorded it you know, yesterday. So I think, you know, what we're doing with the show is, is great. We've also, you know, infused more Disney news because there's a lot more of it now. And so, you know, I try to do that too. It also helps me, you know, put out shows on a regular basis and I don't have to do tons and tons of research on that. And then on the 3028, which is the other podcast with Kevin, I would just call that my, uh, uh, my uh, playground. We we get to do we do more fun. There's a lot of fun. It's less dry. We make the you know we take the dry and make it, you know we plus it up as much as we can. And he and I have a great. We've never met by the way, uh, but we've been doing <laughs> that show. We've you know we met on the show essentially met through the Disney Twitterverse, and yet we just have this bond. And he's a you know gay married man from Massachusetts. I'm a you know, straight married man here in the Ozarks and it's these two different worlds and they come together and we talk about Disney. It's a lot of fun. So hopefully you'll check out both of those shows and I, I, I would appreciate it if you do. Absolutely. You, you already heard my recommendation. Go do it. Go check it out. So thanks again, Matt. Really enjoy the time. That's it for today's show. Special thanks again to Matt Parrish from Woodway Radio and the 3028 podcast for joining us. 
This was episode one in our Disney series. Check out next week's episode. It is a nerd fight on the best animated Disney character, and it is incredibly controversial and hilarious. So you're going to want to check that out. Subscribe on your preferred podcast provider to make sure you don't miss any upcoming shows. If you enjoy the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on Apple Podcasts. To get more information on all of our premium content, head over to thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories. Always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jessica Pritchett, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujeau, Julian Armstrong, Monte Thigpen, Nathan Miller, Nick Prokop, Ray DeLeon, and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards, or just to support the show, please head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.